1: Now, enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston.
2: The title of the message today is We Are Children of God. We are Children of God. In the area where we live in Venom, called Lord's Hill, a flat roof contemporary deck house. Located on a hillside was on the market for sale for close to a year. Then the for sale sign was replaced with a sold sign. As we drove by each day, we noticed a number of construction vehicles, a dumpster, and workmen of all kinds. Soon the frame for a new slanted roof appeared and shingles were put on. All the additions were made, and the entire outside of the house was redone. An entirely new house now stands where the old building was. It was a fascinating experience to watch the process of taking on an old building and making a completely new one out of it. It occurred to me that That is exactly what God is doing with us as Christians. He is making us over. What we are now is not what we are going to be when God is finished with his work of reconstruction. As Christians living in the second decade of the 21st century, we do experience personal tragedies, illnesses, disappointments, and setbacks in our lives. We are often faced with mountains that seem unsurmountable and rivers that seem uncrossable. We seem to have more problems than solutions and more dilemmas than answers. But in the midst of all of these happenings, there is one important truth we should never forget. We are children of God. Amen. Now, John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, that was read for us, what it means to be a child of God. And the first thing he says is that we have a remarkable relationship with God. We have a remarkable relationship with God. Look at verse, verse uh, 1 of uh, uh, 1 John chapter 3. See how very much our heavenly Father loves us, for he allows us to be called his children, and we really are. But the people who belong to this world don't know God, so they don't understand that we are his children. So what is astonishing, what is surprising, says John, is how much God loves us. Whoever heard of such a thing that God, who is absolutely pure and undefiled, should love sinners like us? Sinners who are enemies of his grace. Sinners who are always resisting his attempts to change us. This is rather amazing. We would have given up on ourselves long ago, but God did not give up on us. He pursued us, brought us into his family, and called us his children. Speaking of of Jesus, John says in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, Although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This birth comes from God. Now, as his children, God shares with us his divine life and his divine nature. This is a privilege not available to angels, nor to principalities and powers, but only to redeemed sinners like us. What a wonderful place His love has given us. What a nobility of position. What a place of honor we have been given. My heart is overwhelmed with wonder and amazement that a sinner like me should be given the privilege of being called a child of God. Indeed, as uh, Paul tells us in Romans, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It is because of God's amazing grace that you and me as his children can come with confidence into his presence where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It is because of God's amazing love that we can call on him as our father and tell him our needs and concerns in prayer. It is because of God's amazing love that He says, Call on me and I will answer you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. How anyone in their right mind can reject such an incredible love is beyond my understanding. But I want you to note carefully that God does not call all human beings his children. The apostle Paul wrote, In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The only one God ever calls his child is the person who has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness. God is not the father of all mankind as many people seem to think. But he is the creator of all mankind. We all share with every other human being a common heritage. We are all members of one race. This is an important truth, but we are not all children. We are children of God only through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. All human beings can be children of God. Redemption is provided for all. There is plenty of grace in Christ. God desires that his enemies should become his children. Now, we should not expect the world at large to recognize or applaud the fact that Christians are the children of God. As new converts, uh, some of us discovered this when, in the enthusiasm of our new found faith, we told family members and friends of our decision to accept Christ as Savior. We expected them to glow with enthusiasm or enthusiastic approval. But instead, we met with a coldness which says, I'll watch and see. My friends, when I accepted Christ many, many years ago, more than half a century ago, told me that they were giving me two weeks to come to my senses and to change my mind. But, well, those two weeks never came. John explains why this happens in the second part of verse 1. says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Christ. Did you ever stop to think that the world never understood Jesus? The Lord came to earth and lived in the human family, performed miracles, taught as no one else did, lived an exemplary life, but people never really knew him. He never sought wealth or fame or power. All he wanted was to do his father's will. Hence the world disowned him, rejected him and crucified him. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter two uh, verses seven and eight, "No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden." And that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, if they had any idea who it was that was in their midst, if they could have discerned the glory of his character, they would not have nailed him to a cross. Nor if the world did not know Christ, in spite of his perfect character, then surely we cannot expect the world to recognize us as the children of God or to treat us with the respect a child of the living God might expect to receive. So don't be surprised if the world rejects our testimony, laughs in our face, and makes contemptuous remarks about what we believe. They did the same thing to our Lord, and they will do it to us as well. But the second thing is that we have a wonderful hope for the future. We have a wonderful hope for the future. Look at verse verse 2. Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. You see, John restates in this second verse uh, our present relationship to God uh, in order for the sake of emphasis. He says, Dear friends, now we are already God's children. You see, we are not waiting to become God's children. We are the children of God now if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We will never be any closer in relationship with God, even after we have been in heaven for a thousand years. Relationship does not change. It is fellowship that changes. Salvation is a present reality. But there is more to it, says John. What we will be has not yet been made known. But when he appears, we shall be like him. Think of it for a moment. When God gets through with you and me, we are going to be just like Jesus Christ. My, what a transformation. We can look at each other today and find plenty of reasons to criticize. But remember, God is not through with us yet. God is not going to be satisfied with any of us until we are just like His Son, Jesus Christ. You will never be satisfied with me, and I will never be satisfied with you until we look just like Jesus Christ. And only God can do that. John's teaching here is that there are two stages to salvation the present and when He appears. In other words, the now and the not yet, the here and the hereafter. It salvation includes more than what we can presently see and experience. Living in a sinful world, being tempted, tormented, tried, and tested is part of our present experience. The weight of cares and burdens, of tears and sorrow can be overwhelming at times and cause us to cry out, Lord, where are you? Why do you allow these things to happen to me if you love me? But we need to remind ourselves that there is more to the Christian life than our present experience. There is still when he appears. The key for us is not to lose sight of that future component of our faith. That is a problem with many Christians today. All we see is the present with its struggles, disappointments, pain, and sorrow. But it is absolutely fundamentally necessary not to be focused just on the present. For to do so is to lose the hope of what we will experience when Jesus appears. Let me put it this way. Here I am, a Christian. My soul has been delivered from the penalty of death. Christ died for my sins. I have been delivered from sin's power. I have been set free. I have been adopted into God's family. Now I am a child of God. But as I look at myself, I see that sin is still a reality in my life. I still struggle with sin inside me. I want to live according to the word of God And yet, my sinful nature tries to pull me away from Christ at every turn. My body is still a battlefield. My soul has been saved, but my body waits in hope of Christ appearing. You see, when he appears, future tense, we shall be like him. But number three, we have a great incentive to be pure like Christ. We have a great incentive to be pure like Christ. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And all who believe this will keep themselves pure, just as Christ is pure. That's from the New Living Translation. And from the NIV it says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the prospect of seeing Jesus face to face and becoming like him provides us with an incentive for holy living. John says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. So how does one purify himself or herself? By using the means provided for purification. The mothers who are here know what I'm talking about. Your little boy has been playing in the dirt. He comes in and you send him into the bathroom to clean himself up. Like most boys, he turns on the water, runs his hand through it, turns the water off, wipes his hand on the towel and comes out. You look him over and say, but you're not clean. Well, he says, I washed myself. But look at the dirt on your hands and on your arms and on your face and behind your ears. You're not clean at all. Then every wise mother asked, did you use soap? (laughs) Of course he didn't. So she sends him back to use the soap. So what is soap? It is a cleansing agent. It will do the job if it is used. So when... He comes back the second time. He has washed with soap, and the soap has cleansed him. Now he says, look, Mom, I've cleaned up myself. He did it by using the means provided. The provision for our spiritual cleansing is the word of God. If you look at Psalm, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. The psalmist says, How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word and following its rules? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And John tells us in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. So this means that we must begin to take seriously the sins in our lives that break fellowship with God. Sins like gossip and slander and backbiting and lying in and a critical spirit, that ugly word, that lustful thought which we entertain. We must repent and ask God to cleanse us from sin, for we know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The hope of Christ appearing should be a strong incentive for us to live holy and righteous lives as God's Spirit enables us. Just think of it, my brothers and sisters, when Christ appears, we who have faithfully lived to please him we who have not become weary in well-doing we who have persevered in serving him we who have faithfully represented him to our family friends and neighbors we who have kept our eyes on jesus when it was not fashionable to do so we shall be like him we shall be like him be encouraged therefore my fellow christians the struggle with sin will not last forever. The suffering that makes it difficult for us to hold on to our faith will one day be removed forever. Every tear will be gone, wiped away from our eyes by the hand of God. There has never been anything that has, that has um, ever inspired more, more discouraged hearts than the Lord's promise that he will soon return for his own. There has never been anything that has ever dried more tears of sorrow and heartache than knowing that our blessed Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again for his saints. There has never been anything that has brought healing to more hurts and brought ease to more pain than believing this precious truth. There has never been anything that has helped Christians face extreme difficulties with optimism and hope like realizing that Jesus would soon rapture us home. And there has never been uh, anything that has encouraged more people to prepare for eternity by repenting of their sin than has the glorious hope of the ages. Our Lord has never disappointed any of his children in the past, and he is not about to disappoint any of us now. He will return. Over 2,000 years ago, Christ came as a baby in Bethlehem, but when he returns, he'll return as king of kings and lord of lords. Then he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but when he returns, he'll be robed in royalty. Then he was judged and misjudged, but when he returns, he'll be the judge of the universe. Then he was meek and lowly, but when he returns, he'll be high and lifted up. Then he was crowned with thorns, but when he returns, he'll be crowned with glory. Then he was despised and rejected of men, but when he returns, he'll be the fairest of 10,000. Oh, this has been the inspiring hope of the church for 2,000 plus years. What radiant glory awaits us in heaven? And what's more, Jesus will be the main attraction. The harmony of heaven will be the love of Jesus. The glory of heaven will be the presence of Jesus. The light of heaven will be the face of Jesus. The melody of heaven will be the name of Jesus. And the theme of heaven will be the worship of Jesus. Heaven will be a place where there is life without death. There will be peace without strife. Love without any limits. Safety without any fear. Comfort without any pain. Joy without any sorrow. Health without any disease, perfection without any flaw, beauty without any blemish, and excitement without any end. Oh, at his coming, Jesus was right on schedule at his first coming, and so he will be at his second coming. So when time is fulfilled, whether we are ready or not, he will come again. When the hour is come, whether we are believer or skeptic, he will come again. When the last trumpet of God sounds, whether we are worshipping or sinning, he will come again. When the dispensation of grace is completed, whether we want him to or not, he will return. When the final page of the present age is recorded, whether we are dead or alive, he will return. And when the fullness of time has come, and when time shall be no more for the saints, he will return. And when Jesus appears, praise God, we who are his children, who name his name, will be like him and glorified with him forever and forever. And so, brothers and sisters, watch for his appearing, for we are children of the living God, destined to spend eternity with him. And so today we can look forward with a great deal of hope to know that our hope is not in this world, it is in God, who has promised that we will be with him forever and forever. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org